0: Today's date is July 17, 2022. We are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 91, beginning with When Your Man is Better, to and including page 91, When He Sees You Know. Rita will be our reader, followed by a 20-minute share by Lori C. Reader,
1: please go ahead, Rita. Thank you, Tasha. When your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you. Though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. See your man alone if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. But say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you. Being careful not to moralize our lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. When he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. If he is alcoholic he will understand you at once he will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own
0: thank you so much rita um but before i introduce the speaker um laurie would you like me to time you or to give you any warning like a five minute five minute warning okay well I would like to introduce our speaker, Lori C. I am really looking forward to hearing what he has to say to bring this um, page to light. Thank you so much, um, Lori, for being here. You may begin.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, It's a privilege to be here. I very much appreciate being asked to speak. Uh, I I do have a cold, so uh, I may cough, and I'm sorry if that's the case. These are very important pages, uh, I think, for OA as a whole, because of the uh, suggestions that are made uh, as to how to sponsor, how to carry the message to the person who still suffers and and the tests that they go through, and the flexibility they do. The context starts uh, uh, is that uh, this is a person who has recovered and is in a place where they're looking for someone to sponsor someone to help or to give advice to, to carry the message to uh, step 12 work, carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps uh, from the addiction uh, to those who still suffer. Uh, We don't do that as much. Uh, If I were in a town where there was no uh, OA, I might have to do something like this, but I probably would just uh, create an OA meeting so there's a lot of suggestions here which are important to translate into the real the reality of most of our lives which is that we have oa meetings uh people come to our meetings we're not sort of getting the family to bring them you know to us and things of that sort the other thing that's important is that the context of the first meeting with the person um on page 90 they uh, the the book talks about uh uh, the person going through a binge and the family talks and is is he willing to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so. If he says yes on page 90, his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered. You should be described to him as one of a fellowship who is part of their own recovery, try to help others who will be glad to talk to him if he cares to see you. So a couple of things at this point are very important. One is, what is recovered what does recovery mean and how do we convey that message in the meeting because people come to our meetings secondly um we're only interested in people who really want to work uh you know if he cares to see you it's part of your recovery to help to try to help someone but the person who is a prospect uh is uh is available to you only if that person cares to see you. At an OA meeting, that doesn't happen. They're here, they're there, and we often, uh, well, we should be congregating around the newcomer. We don't always. Um, But the the notion of what the recovery is is really important because that's the context in which the conversation that's being discussed on pages 91 and 92 is held. We're now talking to a person who is interested in what we have to offer them. What do we have to offer them? Well, uh, I'm very glad that this meeting reads the step 10 promises rather than what are often called the step nine or the halfway through step nine promises, which you find much more frequently, uh, in a way, we will know, we will not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it, we will know what the meaning of the word serenity, you know, all those promises. They're wonderful promises, but that's not why people come to our meetings. They come to our meetings because they want the kind of recovery that we can offer them through the 12 steps, which is the neutrality around the things we abstain from, the things that we are addicted from, uh, to, um, the ability to be around them and not want to engage, indulge in them. And that is so important, and OA, I think, in my experience, and I've traveled quite a bit, does not do a great job at that. We're afraid to talk about that. As a matter of fact, uh, the 2000, I think 2021 World Service Conference took away the most uh, benign definition of recovery, which is not wanting to return to that which we've abstained from. Uh, and apparently, the discussion was, well, that hurts a lot of people's feelings or something like that. But that's why people come. They don't come, we don't give them a diet. We don't offer them weight loss. We offer them neutrality. So that's the context. Now the specific instructions have a lot to teach us. When you're mad, page 91, when you're is better, the doctor might suggest a visit, but it's, it's, a, it's just with the person. It says, call on him while he is still jittery. Look at the, the action that is being suggested, not they come to you, you go to them because it's part of your recovery to carry the message. They're doing you a favor. The big book says, actually, he may be helping you more than you may be helping him. And so, you know, I'll never forget my, the first um, time I had contact with OA, uh, uh, a man called me, and uh, he, he said, I'll take you to the meeting. I said, just tell me where it is. I've been to lots of meetings in my life. He had been in AA as well as OA, and, that was his tradition of taking people, establishing that personal connection. So I, I think that's really important. And the, the suggestion that while they're still jittery, more receptive when depressed, um, we're, we're going to try and create that situation uh, as we talk to this person. They say, Senior man alone if possible. And now, this chapter was written uh, by Bill who had a lot of input from others. Bill was a salesman. Bill had access to all those sales talks that that were around at the time. If he says this, say this. If they say this, say something else. All the ifs and sort of moving into the area where you're you're sizing them up. And uh, I take from this the flexibility of working with another person. Um, that the way that may have worked for you may not work for the other person that you're sponsoring, that you have to help that person figure out what works for them and work hard with them to help them succeed uh, and, and to recover. So, I mean, you can see this. First, engage in general conversation, okay, fine. After a while, and you know, people come to the OA meeting, they don't do that. Uh, They come to the meeting and the conversation is about OA. Uh, You're meeting with them after the meeting. So what do you do? What does the meeting do and then what do you do? Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. This whole notion about getting people comfortable with knowing that they're in the right place if they are in the right place. And you'll see that what the big book does is be very careful to say we want to know that the people we're going to help are the people who need the help we can give because there are all kinds of people around who don't need the help we can give but there are also a lot of people around who don't know that they need the help we can give so it's a communication issue uh so we talk about our experiences so a meeting that talks about our experiences that allows people to feel at home i remember that for my first meeting For the first time in my life, I was 40 years old. I felt that there were people who understood me. And to do that, we need to tell our stories. Our stories of what it used to be like and what we're like now. And the stories of what we used to be like have to include discussions of food. You know, it's just not meaningful if we say brown fizzy liquid instead of beer at an AA meeting. And, um, And we have to talk about these things so people begin to identify. We also have to be sure to explain, because OA is this umbrella fellowship that includes people who might have simply eating behaviors, just as Gamblers Anonymous has uh, gam- uh, gambling behaviors, or people who might have single substances. Uh, me, if fat is my major substance issue that I'm addicted to, uh, other people will identify sugar or something like that, and. In between are all kinds of combinations of things, combinations of ingredients, that's what my problem, Um, uh, specific foods, uh, specific uh, times of eating, specific kinds of eating behaviors. We have to make sure that the way we talk gives the experience of how we were addicted, but doesn't require them to identify completely with us. What they have to identify with is the experience of the addiction in relation to the compulsive eating that they have. And this flexibility is important. So you talk and you get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. And that means that you cannot treat every person the same. You might have to proceed in little steps with one person and more quickly with another. You know, when I take people through through the steps, um I really I size them up a lot I, I mean if I ask them to read the chapter more about alcoholism and they come back and they remember the you know the man uh, the man of business and the uh, Jim and Fred and the and the jaywalker and they know all that I don't have to read the chapter with them uh, in my opinion paragraph by paragraph I just point out did you get this part did you get that part um, on the other hand, some people have trouble reading the words uh, for all kinds of reasons both emotional and uh, and uh, linguistically. And, uh, and sometimes you have to go inch by inch with those people. So it's very important to be flexible. Um, if he's not communicated give him a stretch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. And, and this is the salesperson. Say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. You're building up the tension. You're building up the, 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 the uh, curiosity. If he's serious, tell the horrible stories. If his mood is light, tell him humor stories. My stories can be both funny and sad, and uh, and I, I work very hard on trying to tell stories that appeal to people, that allow them to relate to their own addiction, because we all have different addictions. What I may be addicted to, someone else may not be. Then they say, when he sees you know all about the drinking game, there's bottom page 91 going on to page 92, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic, and I don't know if any of you have ever read um, uh, the pamphlet uh, bills talks to three medical societies or three talks to medical societies. But in there, he has this wonderful thing. Uh, we, we hope we never tell him that he's an alcoholic. We only tell our story and see whether he identifies with us. Um, and, and this is so important. You know, there are many morbidly obese people who do not need, uh, over it is anonymous of the 12 steps. They may simply need a good diet. They may need someone to tell them, you only need a hockey puck's uh, 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 worth of uh, protein and you, you shouldn't be having all that terrible junk food. And here's a nice diet and enjoy yourself and go. Or you may need a support group, but not a 12 step group. You may need to be in a group where you, you know, commit yourself to food and that's it. But so we really have to show that our addiction is an addiction that needs the 12 steps. Tell them how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. Give them an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show them the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. That's the next really important instruction, which is that you talk about what the big book would call an allergy of the body. I don't choose to use that in, in a way, and the obsession of the mind. You have to talk about the involuntary cravings that occur, that occur to you once you started to indulge in that which you know you have to abstain from and maybe even your struggles to figure out what what it was that caused you uh, what what specific behaviors and or ingredients and or specific foods uh, were the ones that you knew you had to abstain from this is not an easy issue and 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 talking about that is learning that you were sick in other words that there is a part of you that is abnormal because it com- it leads you to the condition of not being able to stop once you start it and this is so crucial because it takes away guilt it places responsibility on the individual for abstinence and it allows them to be able to say i am as sick as an alcoholic i am as sick as a gambler you know uh, i need something to get out of this vicious circle that i'm in After you give an account of the struggles you made to stop, then you show the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree, not the emotional twist. And the big book is very, and they say, we suggest you do this as we've done in the chapter on alcoholism, the chapter more about alcoholism. Well, that chapter does not talk about trauma. That chapter talks about people who made insane, absurd uh, choices to return to that which they knew would kill them. And, you know, you talk about the man of 25, 30 who was uh, sober for 25 years thinking that time will, will heal this all. As if I could say, well, I've been wearing these glasses for, well, I don't know how many years I've been wearing glasses, many, but I've been wearing them so long that surely now I should be able to see. And that's the, that's the same kind of uh, picture that I think is worth talking about when we talk about the man of, uh, man of 30. Uh, we, we talk about uh, Fred, who had a, a Jim had the bad day, Fred had the good day. Uh, the Jaywalker Walker is just crazy, if, if you're part of my use of the word crazy, but he's just insane. And all of these people, they have a little click in their mind that says, okay, you can have it. You know, that parallel with the sound reason comes the insane reason for returning. And too often, I'm sorry to say, we we talk in our meetings about the 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 tragic things that have happened to so many people Uh, but we also talk just the emotional level and it's not always emotion it is that the mind finds a reason that makes sense at the moment at the instant of saying oh okay i'll have some and that's what we have to do that's the mental twist it's not i suffered a great deal in my life and i always turned to food it is food was the reason that food is the reason that my mind picks. But if Five I, minutes. Uh, I, I mean, mm-hmm. the trauma is the reason. Thank you. The, the trauma is the reason that my mind picks today to return, but tomorrow it could be that they made it for me specially, or that I've been very good for, you know, a half an hour. Or so now I can have it. And I, I think that's really important because that gets into the vicious circle. No matter how much psychotherapy we go through, no matter how much group support we get. If we are true compulsive eaters, true addicts, that's not going to be good enough. It's never going to be good enough because our mind will play tricks on us and we will say at a certain point, oh, I've been away a long time, I'll have some now. Um, I think that's really important. Uh, and our meetings have to discuss that. How do we carry this message to sure the compulsive eater still suffers? That is after all, tradition five, the primary purpose of every OA group is to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps to those who still suffer. What does recovery mean? Recovery means we are neutral. We no longer have excuses or our mind no longer gives us excuses to return to that which we know causes us the phenomenon of craving, the uncontrollable cravings that Dr. Silkworth describes. And if we don't make it clear that that vicious circle is not related to psychological reasons, it's not related to historical reasons. It is a mind that simply wants what the doctor calls the sense of ease and comfort, which comes from indulging in the first thing that you are addicted to. Uh, it never lasts. It doesn't work. You know, that wonderful AA question, so how's that working for you, uh, is, is always very, very powerful. But I think the big book is, is talking about giving a generalized sense of the incredible panorama of reasons that we have given to ourselves for going back so that they can find the identification not in the individual experiences that I may have experienced or that you may have experienced and them, but in the reality that it doesn't matter what those experiences are, our mind gives us permission. It finds a reason, the reason of the day, the reason of the moment. The reason that you wouldn't have thought of five minutes earlier and suddenly it makes sense to you. Oh, it's the third time they've asked me. Well, it's the third time, not the second. Second, I can refuse. First, I can refuse. But this is the third time. Well, okay. Or everyone's watching or all all those silly reasons. Then if he is alcoholic, if he is a true addict, he will understand you at once. He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. And this is so important too, because if you've prepared the groundwork, you've said, look, I am no longer tempted to return to that which I abstained from. Here is my whole story with the food and the compulsive eating, the lack of eating or the overeating, undereating, overeating. Here, I could never do it on diets. I could never do it with support groups. I could never do it on my own because my mind was lurking in the background, thinking of reasons to return. If you've got that definition clear in your mind and you're able to express your own experiences uh, in that, then that person will start talking as well. So you have to define what recovery means in a way that makes sense to the person who comes to those rooms. They don't wanna hear about spirituality, God, you know, emotional happiness. They wanna hear that when they enter the rooms and they do what the rooms tell them to do, they will be able to be around ice cream and not want to eat it, or the equivalent of their equivalent of ice cream. That's what they want to hear. I'm glad you do that. Uh, and then the flexibility that's important to emphasize of treating different people in different ways. I think my time is up, so I want to thank you for the opportunity to, to, of speaking.